0: Good morning everyone. Uh, my name is David Snoke. Uh, I'm one of the uh, elders, currently not on session, if you know what that means, but um, uh, still here this morning. I'll dismiss the kids for Children's Church. You can already see a lot of them uh, taken off. They'll be doing a sort of a worship training, you could say, for being, being able to be brought back into the service when they're a little bit older uh, to worship God. Uh, so I'm in the. Uh, I'm doing a two-part series uh, while Pastor Matt uh, is on break, and um, the title of the whole series is "The Fear of God and the Fear of Man." And last week we looked at the fear of God, and this week, guess guess what? We're going to look at the fear of man. And as I talked about last week, uh, the Bible really presents these as two opposite poles <clears throat> that we get pulled between, uh, and so we often feel. Uh, pulled by the fear of man. And yet the scripture tells us that uh, the antidote for that is the fear of God. And so we looked last week at the fear of God and how that really should just set our compass. It should, it should tell us really how to orient ourselves uh, around the whole uh, world. Uh, well, this week I'm going to, in some sense, be talking in the negative. I'll be talking about what the Bible says for us not to do, uh, which is to fear people. Uh, and so the way I'm going to do the scriptures this morning, you can see uh, in the uh, bulletin on page 7 uh, and on page uh, 8, I have uh, several scriptures which I've highlighted, and I'm going to read them in sequence as I go through, and I'll only do the call and response, this is the word of God, uh, at the end of the very last one when I read it. So let me just read the first three here that are in your bulletin on page 7, which really set up this dichotomy, this, these two poles that we get pulled between. So from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then the opposite side, from Proverbs chapter 29, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then uh, thirdly from Jesus in the New Testament, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, And after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So as we talked about last week, we looked at the Luke 12 passage last week as well. Uh, We really see the contrast not between fear and no fear. It's not either uh, fear or be unfearing, but rather saying fear this or fear that. And so Jesus, and really throughout the whole scriptures, (coughs) sets up the contrast not between fear and lack of fear, but between you're going to fear something, what are you going to fear? Uh, And so the the command here is to not fear people, but rather fear him uh, who is the judge of all people. So let me uh, (coughs) ask you this question. Uh, Who is the highest judge that you fear in your life? Uh, whose judgment do you fear? That's basically what Jesus is doing in Luke 12 here, is he's setting up whose, whose judgment do you fear the most? Uh, and there's a word for this in theological terms that we use a lot of times called justification, uh, the idea of standing before a court and someone passing judgment on you and saying, you're okay, your existence is justified. And so let me ask you this question to start out. Um, Who do you think about when you think about whether you're okay? Uh, How would I stand up under judgment? I would argue to you that the thing that you are most concerned about in this life is your justification. That you are concerned greatly about whether you have a right to exist. Whether you deserve to be. And how do people address this? How do people uh, answer this question? Whether they have a right to exist. And it's interesting, actually... Um, I I say this uh, in a culture which has suicide vastly on the rise in the last uh, decade. Uh, Suicide is rampant in the United States. And there's a lot that could be said about that. But most of us are not suicidal. But I would say most of us do have that nagging question in the back of our mind. Do I have a right to exist? Is my existence justified? Well, how do people uh, answer this? Well, some people might say, I have a right to exist because I produce something useful for society. Well, that immediately leads to the question, what if I don't? What if I'm really not producing anything useful for society? Or some people might answer this question, I have a right to exist because I have friends and family who love me. Again, what if they don't? Um, What about somebody who says, I have a right to exist because I have it all together and I know how to negotiate life. Well, once again, what if I don't have it all together and my life is falling apart? Some of us here uh, in this university community might say, I have a right to exist because I am smart enough to see through all the other reasons that people have for why they should have a right to exist. Uh, I'm the one who sort of stands outside and can judge other people. On the other hand, that one sort of assumes that I'm awfully smart. And what if I'm not actually so smart and people see through me? What if actually my facade is torn aside and I turn out, uh, my greatest fear is that uh, people don't actually see me as being so smart? All of these can be called justification by works, by what I do, uh, by something good about me. And the Bible actually puts these in the same category as the fear of man. Did you ever think about that? Uh, maybe uh, you've been a Christian for a long time you've heard about justification by faith and justification by works. And you've also heard of the categories fear of God and fear of man, but you don't necessarily link those two. But if you think about it, justification by works uh, is a type of fear of man because you're basically saying, when all these people pass judgment on me, uh, then they approve me, that's my justification. And so when they see that I do good stuff or have it together or whatever you want to say, you're basically relying on other people's judgment to give you a passing grade and to say that you measure up so let me give you another little um, test here some of you who've heard me preach before you know I love to give you these little diagnostic tests so here's a question uh, answer see if you can answer this so many of you here today know that you live in fear many of you sit here and say objectively right now the thing I'm struggling the most with is fear and anxiety there's a lot of you who don't think that you struggle with fear Uh, And so my next set of questions is really addressed at you. Um, Okay, so my first question is, uh, somebody insults you and cuts you down. How do you feel about that? Do you feel bad for pretty much the rest of the week? Why should you if you didn't care what people thought about you? Uh, On the other hand, suppose somebody compliments you and says you did something really great do you, not you feel good for the rest of the week again if you didn't care about other people's judgments about you why would that matter why would that give you so much buoyancy to feel I mean essentially you feel you've been judged by somebody and passed uh, and that gives you a, a great elation a lot of times uh, how about this one <clears throat> do you ever feel defensive when somebody uh, implies either directly or indirectly uh, that you have sinned that you've done something wrong you rise to your defense? Well, what are you defending against? A defense, the idea of a defense means that you feel under attack. So you're afraid of something. What are you afraid of? You're afraid that they've passed judgment on you. You're afraid that they have have chipped away at your self-justification. And you're afraid that actually they might be right. And so you need to rise. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense, right? Well, you sinned in this way. Uh, Let me challenge you on that. Here's a couple more. Um, suppose you were asked in this church to um, help hand out flyers uh, out on the street. Now, I know from some of you, just even the fact that I said that, already your heart just jumped at the idea of handing out flyers on the street outside, right? Um, why is that? Uh, why should we, we be afraid to have a Christian voice in the public, in the public square? Or suppose you are in a class uh, here at the university and a professor Uh, asks you, uh, well, what is the evangelical opinion on this issue, uh, Joe? Uh, Or you're in a party uh, with a bunch of people who are not Christians and somebody turns to you and says, well, what do evangelicals think about this? Again, I think that for a lot of us, if we're honest, we would say immediately it's not just a little fear, but some of us can really relate to actually our hearts pounding and our palms getting sweaty when someone turns to us and says, you know, what what is the Christian view of this? Uh, And so we actually do have a lot of fear uh, in our lives and sometimes really uh, abject fear, not just sort of in the back of our minds. So let me move on to the next couple passages uh, that we have in front of us uh, uh, in the scripture. So if you go back to page seven in the bulletin, I'm going to read these. And then at the end of the second one, uh, we have a call and response to remind ourselves that this is uh, the word of God. These are both from Apostle Paul in the New Testament. So uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 3, Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby committed. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, (coughs) who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And then from Romans chapter 8, very famous passage. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, (coughs) who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So, did you hear the confidence that Paul has there? Because confidence is not because, hey, I'm a super apostle and I preach great. That's why I'm so confident. It's because of the gospel. And so I want to take uh, just a, a little time right now and talk about the gospel. Uh, because I think really this is at the core of how we don't have fear of people. Uh, basically, uh, as, we, as we often say in this church... Um, Christ died for your sins and he rose for your justification. That's a, a formula from scripture. That we are, if we are in Christ then his death actually is the death that pays for all of our sins uh, and that's called atonement. Uh, and in the same way his life is our life so that and when we're united to him by faith uh, in fact we have his life in us and so God can truly see us as good because of Christ's life uh, in us. Now The word, as I said before, that's often used for that, is justification. The idea that God can look at you and say, you are good, I love you, you are my child, not because of anything that you've done, but because of Christ's life in you and because of the atonement of your sins uh, through Christ. And if you think about this, and you really get this, uh, it's amazingly freeing because it says, if the Lord of the universe, who has the authority to cast into hell... Uh, has judged me and said I'm okay, what in the world does it matter what people think? Why should I care what people think? And that's really the gist of what Paul is getting at in the first passage there, in the first Corinthians passage. Um, He says, it's a very small thing to me that I should be judged by you. And actually, I don't even spend time adding up my own sins and judging myself. Now, he's not saying that's because I'm so virtuous that I've done all the right things and I'm so confident, but actually he's saying because I know it is the Lord who judges me, and I already know that the Lord has acquitted me and justified me through Christ. Uh, and so he's in a situation in the context of that letter in Corinthians where, where people were judging him uh, and calling into question his ministry, and he was saying, um, Well, here's my argument, but actually I don't really care personally how how you end up on this argument because I know where I stand with God. Uh, And we've often sung in this church a, a hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And for a lot of people who come into the church not really knowing Christianity, that sounds like such a proud song. You know, I am so good that I can say, I know I'm going to heaven and it is well with my soul. And yet, if you get the gospel, you understand it's not because of anything in us Uh, But it's because of the work of Christ uh, that we can stand before him and say, it is well with my soul. This is incredibly life-changing and freeing. There are people, including Christians, who live their lives essentially as slaves to fear. And as I said, many of you uh, know who you are and you know that you live as a slave to fear. And... um, Yet there are many of you who are just jumping at, the, at the, uh, whatever other people are doing or saying. Uh, you're just like an animal jumping in response to what other people are doing. Maybe you don't put the word fear on it, and yet you're acting that way. Uh, you're living that way. And yet the promise of the gospel is that if we are in Christ, as Jesus said, even if they kill us, even worst-case scenario, if other people get so angry with us that they kill us, God will resurrect us and take us to heaven. And so that there is neither, uh, as Paul goes on in this litany here, just like a song, to say neither life nor death, angels, rulers, powers, things to come, height, down, left, right. None of it can affect us because we know that we have an eternal life in Christ. And so when I said before that his life is in us, That's not just some sort of mystical thing for a relationship with Christ. It literally means that he will raise us from the dead because we will have life that cannot be extinguished uh, that's in us through Christ. And so there's literally nothing that people can do. Even if they kill us, God can raise us from the dead. And we saw that in some of the passages that we uh, heard earlier in the service as well. So that's basically, in a nutshell, why you shouldn't be afraid. If you put your trust in Christ... Uh, There is nothing people can do to you uh, that is really permanent. Uh, You can literally be raised from the dead and have that expectation, that hope of life eternal. And that makes all the difference. It means that on a daily basis, you don't have to worry about what people think about you, as so often binds people up. Uh, And as I've often said, sometimes people don't even realize how much this affects them. There are people whose entire lives, whose entire careers, is oriented around proving to somebody that they're not worthless. I'm going to get the best job, I'm going to get the best degree just to prove to you that I am not dumb, uh, just to prove to you when you insulted me 20 years ago, look how far I've come. You're living your life based on trying to justify yourself by your works, by getting someone to pass judgment on you in a favorable way. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to finish up here with four applications. Uh, it's going to really be the, uh, the bulk of the, of the rest of the sermon. Three of them are pretty short and one of them is pretty long. Uh, So uh, bear with me here. Uh, The first one here uh, is one of the short ones. And it really gets at um, the issue sometimes, I I would say probably all of us know somebody who would say that they don't fear anybody. And they would say, I've really, you know, you guys are the ones who fear people. You are the sheep. Uh, I'm not one of the, uh, what do they call them, sheeple. Uh, I'm one of those people who doesn't fear anybody. We all know somebody like this, right? And what are they like? They're obnoxious, right? (laughs) They're obnoxious, they're pushy. Um, Is that what I'm talking about? Am I saying that, well, uh, if we really get the gospel, uh, then we should uh, become like that. We should be people who have no concern about other people. Well, let me sort of unpack this type of person, actually. So I would actually submit to you uh, that they do have a lot of fear of people. Uh, So first of all, their basis on which they don't fear people is confidence in their own strength, confidence that that they've actually won at the game of life, confidence that they actually are powerful people who know how to run things and know how to live life uh, and know how to win. Well, as I said in my list at the beginning of the sermon, you're only one hair away in that kind of worldview from what if I fail? Right? What if all my confidence and my strength and my power was to fail? I'm wealthy, but what if I lost my money? I'm beautiful, but what if I get older? I'm smart, but what if I'm shown to be a fraud and that I really don't know this or that? Um, People actually in that situation who are living in their confidence uh, are typically actually uh, constantly afraid and you could say they show that other people's opinions matter enormously to them because of their need to show dominance. In fact, by showing their mastery over other people, it assuages them that actually that they are justified. Uh, they see themselves as strong and in control because of their ability to control other people. And lack of respect makes people like that cringe. It makes them burst out in anger because they've been wounded, they've been hurt. Their justification lies in what other people think about them. Uh, and so when somebody disrespects them they immediately have to respond because their justification, their self-justification has been cut to the core. So do you see how a person like that who may give a big show of not fearing anybody actually is bound in fear, uh, is actually living in fear of man and is not fearing God uh, and is living, is trying to justify themselves by their own success. Uh, And I'm sure there are people here uh, who have tried to go down that road to say, I'm not afraid of people because I'm a winner, uh, and I can actually do this. Okay, this is my second application, and this is going to be a, a little bit longer here. Uh, for many people who live in fear and anxiety, uh, they don't see it as a choice at all. They see it as something that comes upon them, that leaps upon them, uh, as, a, as a physical problem. There are certain situations and things that just make them afraid, And so I want to talk a little bit about how our culture sees um, not just fear, but all kinds of what can be called passions of the flesh. There's all kinds of physical reactions that we have to situations uh, that, of course, is not something new. This has been in the world since forever. Uh, We react to things. So fear, for example, uh, anger, sexual desire, Uh, disgust, sadness, uh, or joy. These are all things in which we literally have a physical reaction to something that comes at us, something that we encounter. And our culture kind of has a schizophrenic view about how to think about these things. The Bible, in general, had lumped these all into the category of the passions of the flesh. Um, Our culture, often of these, will say, there's nothing you can do about it. You have to simply do whatever the flesh says. Uh, But then on other things, uh, sometimes we'll go the opposite way and say that is absolutely unacceptable, Uh, you can't even feel that. Um, So, uh, for example, in the area of sexual desire, uh, we have uh, a culture that by and large uh, for the last 50 years or so uh, has said if it feels good, do it. You have to, you know, it's, it's oppressive to tell people not to act on their sexual desires, Unless there the wrong sexual desire, such as pedophilia, in which case you absolutely cannot act on that. Uh, and so we have that kind of dichotomy uh, even in that area. Uh, anger. There are some people in our culture who would say anger is never right. Uh, you should bottle up that anger and it's never appropriate uh, to, to have any kind of anger. And there are other people who would say certain things demand anger uh, and they feel angry all of the time. Uh, And they would say, you know, there's something wrong with you if you're not angry about the things that I'm angry about. Uh, And in the same way, uh, when we look at fear and sadness, uh, sometimes called anxiety and depression, uh, we often uh, are in a situation we feel we're powerless to control those things. Uh, Well, um, here's the difficult thing, is that there is both a physical side to these things and a thought side, a cognitive side. Um, we can't just put them all in one category and say it's nearly just a physical thing that just springs on me but we also can't put it entirely in the cognitive side and say uh, whatever you think uh, that is just going to control you uh, and uh, you, know, you, have, you should not even worry about these passions of the flesh of course you just think them away uh, it's just not the case there are some things that are your passions that aren't other people's passions there are things that sweep you and blow you about whether it's fear, anger, sexual desire, uh, whatever it might be, feelings that blow you about that other people might not struggle with at all. Uh, but for you, it deeply feels like who you are. It feels deep in, inside of you, and you don't see yourself as even choosing uh, to do these things. And so I've talked to many an angry person who doesn't say, I chose to be angry. They feel like they just had to be angry. The situation demanded it. Uh, many people who are in sexual sin uh, would say, uh, I didn't choose this, it's just who I am. Uh, And oftentimes people in fear will say the same thing. I can't help it. It's an anxiety that just springs on me uh, and something that I can't control. So the fact is that people are complicated. Uh, And I don't want to come across as I'm giving you easy answers to say, well, if you struggle with fear and anxiety, well, just believe in the gospel and you'll be done with it. Uh, But I do think that there is a cognitive side to all of these things. Uh, What we think does matter greatly, and oftentimes the things that are deeply in our bones can be addressed by putting the gospel deeply in our bones. And some of you who have heard me preach before, you know I use that phrase all the time, right? Getting the gospel in your bones. That for many of us, our fears and anxieties and our passions feel sort of more real because they're deep inside us And the gospel is just sort of this this sort of doctrine that I believe that is the proper doctrine to be believed, but I don't actually believe it. I don't actually think, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to go to heaven, Uh, and that's a physical place that I can go that is real. Um, It just doesn't affect us deeply in our bones. And so I would say, I don't want to be simplistic to say that all of these uh, fears and passions that blow us about are just easily dealt with uh, overnight. But I would honestly say to you that as we believe the gospel and we get it into our bones, into our heart—whereas uh, the Old Testament might say into our loins—that uh, that it feels deep in us. That in fact it does make a difference. It changes our self identity. It changes our perception of who we are. It changes our perception of what we should fear, and it changes what you could say our automatic responses. Um, we oftentimes a- uh, react automatically to things. Uh, without even questioning them. And when the gospel gets deep in our bones, we can actually start to have a moment where we're like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Uh, What am I fearing? What am I angry about? God is the one who judges. God is the one uh, who is in control. But I think it gets down to this. When we think about fear, um, in our society, we tend to only think about things as sinful if i see myself as deliberately making a conscious act to choose to rebel against god and we don't think that any of our automatic responses are sinful we don't think that those things that just sort of seem to pop out of us are sinful we tend to only think at sort of the upper cognitive level is where sin lies and sin is only those things that i'm sort of deliberately saying right now i am rebelling And if you think that way, then boy, you know, you probably only do uh, one sin a day or less. Uh, There's probably very little that you actually sin in. But the Bible actually says our sin is much deeper than that. It's through and through. And there's a lot of us that is sort of automatic sin, stuff that we find ourselves doing. Uh, And I think I put in the additional scriptures, uh, Paul talks in Romans 7. Uh, Yes, it's in there about doing the things I don't want to do, and he sounds kind of crazy. He says, I, uh, I see my members waging war against the law of my mind. What's going on there? Well, that's all of our experience, in fact, that we find ourselves doing things automatically that aren't consciously chosen paths, and we find ourselves falling into those. So the bottom line in the area of fear, which is a difficult word to hear, uh, is that fear of man is a sin. Uh, we tend to think of our fears as just reactions. But the way these verses that I read to you are talking, they're not just saying it's good advice to not fear. They're saying actually it's sinful. It's the sin of faithlessness. You are not having trust in God. You are rather, you're rather fearing people more than you fear God uh, if you're fearing what people think. So it's actually a sin. If you look at the, uh, the passage in Luke 12 uh, that I read uh, both this week and last week, Uh, Jesus is giving a command in command form. In Old English, it would have been, thou shalt not, right? Do not fear those who can only kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'm telling you to fear God. It's not optional. It's a a sin to fear man more than to fear God. Uh, Now, at one level, that's kind of threatening, but at another level, it's freeing, because sins can be repented of. If something is just how you were made and who you are, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, But if something is sinful, it means that you can actually repent of it. So if I said, grow taller, uh, that would be ridiculous, right? I can't tell you to to change your physical makeup. But the Bible says, do not fear. Do not fear people. For some people, they hear that like hearing grow taller. Uh, It's like, you're telling me to change who I am. This is just who I am. You can't tell me... To do that it's just not possible but the fact that scripture tells us to repent of it means it's possible to change and that's actually a promise that's promising that's hopeful to say that i don't need to live in fear before people because the bible tells me it can be repentative now again i don't want to say it's simple i don't want to say that you'll walk out of here today and say well i repented of that i'm done i no longer fear anybody uh, but it is something that we can grow in It might mean for some of us uh, that we need counseling, that we need to talk to um, uh, pastors in this church, for example, or counselors. Uh, It may mean, uh, it definitely means for all of us that we need a loving community to be part of. Um, Not because they're all going to look at us and say, oh, you're just so great, you're so great, you're so wonderful, but that they're going to preach the gospel to us and they're going to encourage us that the gospel really is true. Uh, And they're going to give us sort of that visual picture, as we saw even this morning with the baptism. Of inclusion, of feeling like I am part of God's people. I'm not cast out, uh, but rather I am one of his people. But the bottom line is that we have to be willing to accept that the physical passions that we feel can in- indeed be sinful uh, and need to be changed. Uh, and one of the main ones that scripture points out, as I, uh, I showed you here with all these scriptures, is fear of man. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't fear a lion uh, who's about to attack us, or that we shouldn't fear uh, you know, driving off a cliff. There, God gave us the emotion of fear for appropriate times when we should draw back from something dangerous. But the fear of man is basically fundamentally saying that I value the judgment of people about me more than I value the judgment of God. And that is a sin, the sin of faithlessness. So that was my long application, I have two more short applications. Um, one of them we saw in several of the passages here, in the one that we read for confession, and also in the Romans eight. A lot of Christians in the world, throughout history and in the present, uh, have to deal with persecution. Uh, we don't deal with physical persecution in this country uh, in, in any way, in the same way that other people have in the past or even in other parts of the world. Uh, and yet, we all have a fear of looking stupid in our culture, and this is a big issue for a lot of evangelicals today. Uh, we have really entered into, I would say, a new phase in American history. Um, For most of Christian history, I would say, uh, evangelical Christians would have been rejected by the larger culture as being impractical. Uh, You guys are trying to strive for too much goodness, but that doesn't work in the real world. In the real world, you have to make compromises and cut corners. But there's always sort of this implicit sense that those people who were really striving after Christ were sort of more moral and, and more virtuous, and it was just sort of, you know, silly to try that hard. But we're in a different stage now. We're rapidly moving in our culture to a stage in which Christians are viewed as less moral. Uh, oftentimes, many of the tenets of the new morality will not just say Christian values are old-fashioned. They'll say they're downright evil and oppressive, that certain things that Christians believe because of what the Bible says are actually evil. Uh, And that is part of the oppressive system. Uh, And so we live in a situation where we feel judged uh, by man in a very concrete way in our culture uh, on a regular basis. And I would say Christians are particularly susceptible to this because we actually like to think of ourselves as virtuous. When we, uh, you know, repent of our sins, come to Christ, it's a very easy shift to think. Well, you know, Christ is working in me, and so I'm actually more virtuous than the average person in our our culture. Uh, And so then it's just crushing for us when people in the larger culture say, no, you're less virtuous. Uh, How dare you believe things like that? And we deeply want, again, because of fear of man, we want everybody to like us. Like for many people, their view of evangelism is that I'm just going to be so virtuous and so wonderful that people are going to come to me and say, how can I too be as loving and virtuous as you? And that will be your evangelism. That's A lot of people think that in the back of their minds that's the way evangelism works. It doesn't. <laughs> uh, you'll never get to that point. Maybe occasionally there, there will be somebody like that. Uh, but by and large, uh, we come to people in evangelism saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace And you are a sinner, you also need that same grace. We're not presenting ourselves, we're not presenting our virtue. Uh, And so the more we fall into fear of man, the more we're worried about what people think about us, and we fall into fear of other people's judgment. So uh, in last week's scriptures, uh, I think I uh, reproduced uh, this in the additional scriptures also, in Isaiah chapter 66, when we talked about the fear of God, he talked about, He says, this is the one to whom I will look. This is God speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We fear God and we listen to his word, the Bible. And so we have to be able to move to a point where we say, yes, I'm marching to the beat of a different drummer. Uh, There's certainly many things in in the larger culture that we can value, that we can affirm, that we can participate in. But the bottom line is, um, in every generation, there's been something that you had to say, I'm opting out of this one. Uh, I I can't do that because I marched to the beat of a different drummer. Uh, I can't say that. I can't approve of that. I can't agree to that. That's very scary uh, to feel that you are an outsider in some ways uh, to the culture. And yet, that is one of the things that the fear of God versus the fear of man implies, is that we fear the word of God. We fear and we basically consider his judgments more important than we consider the judgments of the world. And lastly, uh, this was a, a very brief uh, application, and it gets back to uh, some of the, uh, the gospel implications I was talking about before. Many people are deeply afraid of conflict, uh, and in particular, uh, if there is someone in your life who has, uh, is, is struggling with a sin... Many of us are deeply afraid of talking to that person about that sin. And uh, if that sin does come up in conversation, we feel incredibly awkward about it. We don't really know how to deal with it or process it. Uh, If you think about it, the gospel says there is no sin that is so great that you cannot be forgiven and saved by God. There is no sin that we should be afraid of mentioning, that should be unspeakable. Uh, Now, maybe not everyone we should blare in public, but one-on-one with another Christian, we should be not afraid to talk about our sins. Uh, And there's a wonderful book we have on the book table uh, by uh, Bonhoeffer uh, who says, uh, he talks about the joy of confession. And he makes a very interesting statement. He says, a lot of people in the Christian world, and he's writing this in the uh, early 20th century, it still applies. A lot of people say, well, I confess my sins to God, but I I don't need to confess them to another person. And he says, well, why do you find it easier to confess to the Lord of all the world who has the power to throw you into hell? Why do you find it easier to confess to him than to confess to another person? Um, Is it because you fear their judgments more than his judgment? And actually, if you feel that way, it's because you've created an image for yourself of God uh, that 's not very scary, and so that God you can easily confess your sins to, whereas confessing to another Christian is actually scarier because that Christian actually images the real God more than your mental image, uh, and so it 's actually scarier to go to confession sins to another Christian because they 're actually more like confessing to the real God than confessing to the imaginary God that you make up in your prayers. Uh, And so we should not be afraid of confessing our sins. But the reverse is also true if you're the one being confessed to. Um, We should not be afraid of the situation of feeling so awkward uh, because we know that sin is in the world. And uh, Larry Crabb, uh, uh, a counselor who a lot of you have heard me quote a lot of times, he said the most healing thing that we can do for another Christian is to name the sin and not condemn them for it. If we don't name it, if we leave it the unspoken, it's almost like we're implying this is too terrible to possibly be mentioned. Uh, And therefore, we're actually increasing that person's fear uh, of judgment. If we can say, uh, this is a sin, uh, but this too uh, comes under the cross, we actually are very healing. And I can tell you personally, in my own life, many years ago, there's a pastor named Dave Williams, who some of you in this room uh, remember many years ago. It's just like a fantastic thing, but I talked with him like 10 minutes after church, and I was chatting with him about something. He said, well, you know, that's a sin. And, you know, just the way he said it was just so striking to me because on the one hand, it was just the matter-of-fact nature of him saying it. It wasn't like, ooh, that's a sin. It was all, that's a sin. But I could immediately perceive he wasn't condemning me, but he was speaking truth to me. And so my fears were reduced, uh, and my understanding of the gospel uh, was increased. So let me finish just with this then. Uh, For some of you, you've heard this many times. For some of you, it may be the first time. I'm setting before you a great opportunity to abandon your fears and trust in the God who justifies through the work of his son in the cross. Uh, I'm challenging you to set aside your fears, to believe the gospel, to get it deep in your bones, maybe for the first time in your life. Uh, Maybe this is just a reminder. Uh, It may be hard so set aside your fears. You may need help. You may need uh, a lot of help in setting aside your fears. And yet, that is the call that we have in Scripture to not fear people, uh, but rather to fear God who has the power to judge us and yet sends His Son so that we don't need to go under judgment and in fact can be taken uh, into His glorious kingdom. And if He justifies us, who should we fear? Let's pray. Father, um, I pray Uh, for those, Father, uh, many of us who've been Christians even for many years who still live in fear in many ways. And, Father, none of us is free from that. I'm not free from it. Uh, Father, uh, we have many fears, uh, some greater and some lesser. Father, I pray that we would see our need to draw near to you uh, to have greater concern for your opinion than those of other people. And, Father, that we would not trust in our own strength and our own works, Father, but that we would rest uh, in the grace that you've given to us in Christ. And, Father, I do pray for... Truly, uh, many people uh, here this morning that you would set the captives free, Uh, people who live in fear, Father, uh, that they would be, even this morning, be able to mark this morning as a day they began to walk away from fear and toward faith in you. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.